Welcome everybody to Stock Dirty to Me, the beginner's podcast for investors. I am, of course, Phil Better, the host of this show, not an advisor, simply a host. We're going to bring in our first advisor here. As always, we have Dalt with us, an advisor at Banting Corp Capital, also an admin of the group. Dalt, thank you very much for showing up this week. You, uh, you look amazing enjoying the bright weather in Canada and relaxing. How are you doing this week? Awesome. Awesome. It's been a great uh, start to the long weekend. And um, yeah, can't complain. Finally got some sun and some hot weather. It's been 30 degrees almost every day. So it's been awesome. For for our American friends, that's 30 degrees Celsius. And Celsius, yeah. Sorry. Double that and add like 35. <laughs> I don't know. We don't understand your weird American math. But yeah, it's, not, it's something, nice something weather. Something over, over 80. Between 80 and 85, probably. Something like that. Uh, we're not meteorologists were stock people so that's math we don't know bringing in our counterpart down in the states we have mr tony tony how are you doing how's the stock bros thank you very much for having your brother last week yeah no i'm, I'm fantastic no he definitely he liked it a lot he was a little thrown off because he didn't know what we were doing so <laughs> he's like i'm not prepared at all for this but yeah Generally, that's how we roll. We're usually five minutes ready and we just roll with what we have. But this week, we got a whole bunch of questions from the group. And again, if you're interested in asking questions during the show, make sure you hit that comment. Make sure you hit that like button so that we know you're, you're enjoying the content. We always like hearing from you guys uh, while we're doing the show and answering on the fly as best we can. Uh, before we start, we're going to touch off crypto. It's been crazy. Um, who wants to touch on some of the craziness that's gone on this week? Um, well, we could talk, we could start by talking about China. Yes. And China had some big things in the news as well. So why don't you touch on that, Tony, for us? Well, it's significant because for the first time, their state council and China's, uh, government cabinet members have actually agreed to restrict mine, crypto mining and put more financial, more of a ban on financial transactions with altcoins and other various types of digital coins. I know they've already banned crypto from being used from financial transactions in 2019, but it sounds like they're coming down heavier on it now. And their reasoning for it is they're saying that they want to protect the integrity of their financial system, their stocks, their bonds, their other securities. And as well as meet their new clean energy and emission goals, which is a little suspicious for me. But I would say this article was very significant or the, the news about this was very significant because I was reading and I think it was Market Watch that China actually is the world's largest Bitcoin mining location. So they, they make up about 65% of the world's Bitcoin mining. So if they're going to start putting regulations on Bitcoin and start cracking down on that, that's going to significantly affect the price of Bitcoin, as we saw this past week. I think most crypto was down like 50 percent in a week. Yeah. So, so that's I mean, they all move in correlation, it seeming seemingly with each other for the most part. So, I mean, everything, if you have, if you owned a large crypto portfolio or had a large percentage of your portfolio in crypto, you got absolutely destroyed this week. And that's yeah. why we warned people not to do that and not to sell all your stocks and, and put all your money in crypto because it's so volatile. One week you're up 20, 30%. And then the next week you're down 50%. Yeah, so. it's 
crypto as as fun as it looks and how much potential it does have right now the market is so unregulated it's it's not worth risking it put some dollars in it of course if you can't afford it but don't put all your money in it make it a small we we reiterate this every week put a bit of money in crypto don't put your whole don't yeet your yeet as the kids say today cuz apparently that's the word <laughs> i think yeet all your money in there and hope to god that it makes it because that's not going to make you rich uh Dal, do you want to touch on the uh, subject of uh china's band and the where crypto could or fall even more yeah so tony tony touched on it pretty pretty good i could just add a little bit more to it but er everything you said is pretty much true so china is um is um ramping up um trying to fade out i guess sort of bit sort of uh Bitcoin mining practices that they don't have con control over, as mm -hmm. well as um, starting to regulate some of the trading practices that are going on in the crypto space. So whether that be um, through additional taxes or just outright banning tran transactions in various altcoins, whatever that's going to going to look like, China is looking at it heavily. And the reason why it's having such a big impact is because um, of course, China has 1.4 billion people. So you take 1.4 billion people at $20 a piece, you know, you squeeze over $20 billion out of the crypto market. So that's why it's having such a big, big um, effect effect on on markets. Also, again, with the uh, carbon foot footprint um, piece that Tony touched on, this is the first poison dart thrown at Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, so these things are extremely uh extremely extremely uh pollutive um it costs it costs a, a, an, ab an absolute fortune in in electricity costs to send a bitcoin tran transaction or ethereum transaction and the reason why i think they're going this route is uh they're going with binance um so binance obviously is um the chinese crypto exchange there Everybody knows it. It's it's a very big crypto exchange. They have pretty much every altcoin you can think of. What's also interesting with that is what Binance did last year, which was the introduction of the Binance Smart Chain. The Binance Smart Chain is essentially a decentralized application platform, just like Ethereum, except for the fact that it's super green. It costs cents to transact, whereas it costs anywhere from a hundred to a thousand dollars to transact on Ethereum, and uh, it doesn't cost very much electricity um, to send um, BNB tokens across the Binance Smart Chain or associated BEP20 tokens. So um, this is uh, this is a way that China is going to start to develop and push their own initiative for the Binance Smart Chain because, of course, someone in China's state government sits on the board of directors of Binance. Of course, that's, that's how it works. Uh, China has their hands pretty much in all things. But I also heard recently that China's looking to create their own crypto yen, the uh, Chinese yen going in crypto. Have you heard anything about that, you guys? And what do you guys think? Is that the future for a fiat currency transforming into a cryptocurrency like this? No, not really. Um, everybody seems to be saying they're going to have their own. If I had a dollar every time some country said that and still didn't have didn't have one, I'd be very rich. <laughs> um everybody says they're gonna do it nobody's gonna do it i'll tell you why because the dollar is already digital if i told the last time yeah. i paid with cash was probably over a year ago um so right. you don't really use cash anymore it's everything is tapped i don't even need to really bring my cards because it's all on my on my phone um so you're not even using plastic now pretty much all right tony uh you did have a little 
seems that you were agreeing with Dalta. Do you want to add anything on that? No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, the dollar's already digital. I know they're, the the uh, U.S. Treasury was talking about we're going to make a digital dollar. The dollar's already digital. So what does that even mean? You know, but I don't know. It just seems like they're trying to stifle cryptocurrency a little bit. They want to have a little bit more control. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's that's our topics on uh, the our little warning about crypto. It's uh, I, uh, enter at your own risk. In essence, um, you're, you'll see upswings and downswings worse than what you can see on the market when you're investing in proper uh, proper stocks that we we talk about here on the show or we advise you in the group. Uh, one of the questions we did get regarding this was from Chrissy Dorse. Um, she, uh, I believe she was asking, what is a market order and a stop limit order? Now, uh, Tony, do you want to handle this or do you think uh, we should hand yeah. it off to Dalt? Well, market order is just simply buying at uh, the the fastest transaction, buying it as fast as possible at whatever the market price is at that time. The danger with buying something through a market order, especially if you're going to be buying large quantities, if you're going to be buying 100 shares of something and you just set it as a market order, you could end up buying what you want for over a dollar or two or even just even just a couple cents makes a difference when you're buying large quantities. Yep. And that's why I never use market orders if I'm going to buy anything in large quantities. If if you're going to buy like a fractional share of like an ETF, like a VOO or SPY, like if you want to throw $25 into it, sometimes I'll just do that. I don't really care if it's a market order cuz I'm going to keep it for 20 years. But if you're going to buy 10 shares of Apple, I'm absolutely going to put in a, a limit order and not use a market order because I want to buy it for a very specific price. And the stop loss, it was a stop loss. Stop limit order. Stop limit order. I think they and may be. I think she's just com- uh, combining stop loss and a, and a limit order where stop loss is just setting it to a price you want to sell at in case it falls. So if you, if you bought it at $10 and it goes to like 20, you might want to set a stop loss for like 15. So if it drops back down, you're preserving some of your gains. And then a limit order is just buying it at a specific price that you want to buy it at. So, okay. Um, I'm going to bring in Dalt here just for now. Uh, her second question was uh, call put options. Literally the act of buying and selling stocks. Is that what a call put option is Dalt? Would you like to, uh, touch on that uh yeah just just to add a point to um to tony he, he did get everything right with stop loss limits and market um there is also a stop limit or, or order and that's basically uh used to just buy in between basically a certain range so say if uh, uh spy was trading at 400 dollars per per share and you wanted to make sure that you could buy if spy were to reach 410 you'd be in, interested in buying at that point but you wouldn't want to buy any more than say 415. So you'd set a stop limit order for say uh, buy at 410, uh, but no more than 415. So if you can, if you oh, all yeah. of your order can be had between 410 and 415, then it'll it'll do a buy. And uh, you could do that the same way uh, for stocks moving on their on their way their way down. Okay, it's just and, basically uh... a combination of a stop loss and actual limit order. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never. You used one though. Uh, limit orders are good enough for me. Yeah, um, I never used one either. I didn't even know about that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
Always uh, learning for, on the podcast. That's what we're doing. And that's what we're yeah. here for to educate you. So yes, going back to the original question, the call put options, are they literally the act of buying and selling stocks? No, they have nothing to do with buying or selling stocks. Uh, they are call and put options are um, basically um, a security, a type of security that uh, that gives you the right, but not the obligation um, to buy or sell a certain amount of stock at a specified price. So um, the majority of call and put options are never exercised. They are they are traded back and forth. Um, but say that uh, again, or you spy, you 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 saw spy at four hundred, and you you kind of felt that um, spy might rise to four hundred and fifty. So you'd buy a call option uh, with say um, a strike price of four hundred and fifty, and you you bought only one contract, so you have a hundred shares. You have the right to buy a hundred shares. Um, what, what what what's really good about the options is that they, they they provide you with a little bit of, of leverage so obviously you would never be able to you know control 100 shares or some people can but most people can't um but that gives you the option to get leverage and the amount of premium that you would be you'd have to put up to actually hold that would be considerably less than actually buying the shares the good news is that should spy rise from 400 to 450 and hit your your strike price your call option would start rising the closer it got to that strike price, and when we came, when I became in the money, it would rise even further. And so you'd be able to sell that option contract back to the market at a at a, a effective price to generate a bigger profit than you would have had if you just held um, the individual shares. So it, it's kind of a bet. It's a derivative. It's a bet that um, the stock will rise. If it's a call option or if it's a put option, it's a bet that the stock the stock price will will fall. You'll be able to buy it cheap and sell at the put option price. So they have they really have nothing to do with um, buying or selling Stops. stock. And another thing is that's interesting is somebody mentioned that they they bought they bought a call option and the security that the that the underlying call option was uh, representing um, went up and the call option didn't go up. So that can happen because uh, uh, still in order for the call option to go up, somebody has to be bidding up that call option, that particular that particular strike price at that particular expiration date. If there's nobody buying it and bidding it up, then your call option is not going to go up. Just because the call op the, the, the underlying stock goes up doesn't mean your call option will go up. And if you're too close to the expiration date and there's a better chance that the market believes, hey, um, there's a better chance of this expiring than the stock going up. Even if that stock were to go up a little bit close to the expiration date, that call option might not move at all. So there's a little bit more um, finesse, uh, market psychology, and all that stuff built into op to options. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than just buying and selling stocks. Something uh, more of a seasoned investor would probably be playing with versus uh, the beginners that we normally talk to in our group. Correct. Yeah. Well, you're, you're just essentially, essentially you're just betting with call calls and puts. You're just betting whether a stock is going to price is going to rise or fall. So you're essentially gambling. That's basically what you're doing. Okay. Um, we're going to have another question here from Chrissy. Uh, and then I, there's a question in the, from the Facebook group that I, we're going to answer. Uh, it's, let's say you already own VO, VOO, 
right? And then you buy another ETF that has the same stock in it, like Apple, which is a popular stock in many uh, ETFs. Um, would that affect you and how would it affect you? Does that for me? Yeah, uh, since you're on screen right now. <laughs> look, look, when you're when you're buying an ETF like VOO that has Apple in it already, the thing is, if you own Apple individually, you could get potentially a lot more gains from just holding the, that one stock rather than owning an ETF. So Apple did go up like 400% in the last four years, something like that. Don't quote me on that. I know it was a lot more than VOO. I believe it was like 400% in the last four years and VOO went up about 100% in the last four years. So you are going to get three to four times more profits or capital appreciation with just Apple. But the thing about an ETF is you're also protecting yourself. If you make a mistake and you buy a horrible stock and that stock falls down dramatically, now it's not gonna affect you as much if that stock is in an ETF because it kind of balances it out. It'll balance itself out because you have Apple going up so much and that other stock you might have going down. So the ETF kind of helps you and diversifies your portfolio and also protects you from making a really bad decision as well. You can own stock in Apple and ETFs that have Apple. There's so many ETFs that have Apple. I, I own Apple. I have 10 shares of Apple that I bought a while ago when they were really cheap. And um, I just think Apple is a great company. So for me, it's worth owning Apple and worth owning the ETF that has Apple in it. So you can do both. There's nothing wrong with doing both. And having multiple ETFs that have Apple in it doesn't affect well, you. It just means you you don't technically own that share. You just own the ETF, which owns the shares. Well, you, you do own shares because you're owning that fund has a certain percentage of Apple shares. Uh, but in, a, in if the thing is, if you're going to buy, I think the, the answer to this is don't buy a bunch of ETFs that do the same thing. You want to have different ETFs for different sectors or you maybe you don't want to have SPY and VOO and SPLG and SPYG, all these ETFs that kind of do the same thing. You might want to buy an, an ETF for the S&P 500. You might want to buy an ETF for international stocks. You might want to buy one specifically for growth, for tracking the NASDAQ. You know, you might want to buy one for REITs. Don't buy a bunch of ETFs that have all the same holdings. What's the point of that? You know? Excellent. All right. We have a question. Um, I had to pull up it on my phone, but it's uh, from Osman is Gary. Uh, apologize, Osman, if I mispronounce your name. He's like, I have 22 invested in 10K power buying. Can I do day trading or everything has to be invested? Now, this is something we see pop up and in the, uh, in the, um, questionnaire we do ask you if you're a day trader like gordon gecko or if you're uh more of a warren buffett type long-term oh. investor what what do you say to this he he wants to know does he can he do 10 uh, 10k day trading when he's invested with 22 already sure he can do whatever he wants uh i don't know what he's i don't know what he's invest what he means by investing and buying power is he saying he has twenty two thousand in i'm assuming he's using robin hood so he has 22,000 invested into stocks or whatever securities, and then he's got 10,000 separate in buying power. Is that what he's saying? 
I would we would have to know Usman if you're still watching if you could just clarify yeah. that for us so that we can uh, know specifically do you, is that what Tony just mentioned I'm wondering if he's talking about the pattern day day trading rule if he's wondering if that will affect that I think he needs to have 25,000 total to where the pattern day trader rule doesn't apply for Robin Hood so it sounds like he has 32,000 so he's fine I would just say if he's going to start day trading, you should probably be really careful and really study and analyze what you're doing first. So, Excellent. Uh, Dalt, do you uh, concur with him? you have anything else to add for uh, our member who looks to be uh, jumping into day trading possibly? That was, that was perfect. Um, what Tony said, just make sure uh, uh, it's a day trading is a, it's a different monster because you're you're mostly spe speculating and you're trying to take advantage of um, of smaller moves. And in order for that to be profitable, you you either have to get leveraged somewhat or um, weigh in with a lot more money than you otherwise would. Um, so uh, just make sure that uh, you take your time. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You spec. I'm trying to figure out the right word to say, but there is none. Um, just don't start uh, do, out with be as careful as possible. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't use ahead. your ten thousand dollars for day trading. Why don't you start out with like a couple hundred dollars and play around with it for a while? Yeah. Smart <laughs> advice from uh, you know the advisors and the admins here. Uh, we're going to go into a question that uh, Michael Santos had in the group. And again, if you want to have some questions like Usman, just ask them in the chat. We'll be more than happy to uh, provide them. Hey there, user Michael. Row, nope. Is that Michael? Michael Rowe. Michael yeah. Rowe is asking. Actually, Michael Rowe. It hasn't. Ah, there it is. Michael Rowe. Here it is. Is there an indicator that y'all prefer? An indicator for trading. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing that's what he means. Or maybe an indicator. Maybe a stock indicator. I don't. I don't really know. When you guys ask your questions, make sure you fill out the questions in fully, He's so that we can answer them. analysis, probably. He's probably yeah. He's probably talking about technical analysis and how to. Read well, that's handle. that's great because our next question from Michael actually deals with that. So uh, we'll go into that. Um, do you guys use discounted cash flow analysis, or do you use technical analysis? And what are your thoughts on those? I use the balance sheet analysis, <laughs> where I pull up all of the earnings reports, especially the last quarter and the current quarter or the most recent. And I'll look and see, I'll check for the earnings per share. I'll look for cash flow. I'll see if they have positive cash flow. I like investing in companies that have positive free cash flow, meaning that after they pay all of their business expenditures, they have money left over because then they can reinvest that money back into the company. And also if there's a pandemic, they have cash on hand in case their sales go down. I also like investing in companies that have low debt, less than a one ratio. I like investing in companies that have actual profits and their profits are growing over time, or at least, you know, staying steady. You can't always beat profits every single quarter, but company that has solid growth uh, potential. And um, I just, I just look for stuff like that. I look at the PE ratio. I look at the price to book value, which is a big one for me. I don't want to buy a company that's that their share price is way overvalued or uh, bloated compared to their actual book value, meaning like the value of all their assets and how much cash they have on hand. 
So that's the stuff I look at. I don't really know. I'll be completely honest. I don't know a lot about reading candlestick charts or anything like that because I don't do a lot of that stuff. I know that Dalton would probably be good to answer that question. So, And on that note, let's bring Dalton on here, our resident advisor at Bantingcord Capital, an amazing uh, website, an amazing advisor himself with a great blog that can teach you a lot. Um, so, yeah, we're going to jump into a more detailed question, the discounted cash flow analysis or technical analysis. What is What do you use to measure uh, stocks before you buy? Uh, so definitely not discounted cash flow. I did um, I did one of those by hand for a member of the group probably a month ago, a month and a half. It was just a pain in the ass. I just hate it, <laughs> and it just it <laughs> it uh, you have to make a lot of assumptions to to um, to speculate on that on that figure. And so uh, depending on um, if you change one assumption or you're you know ten percent off here. 10% off this assumption, 10% off this assumption, you're gonna have wildly different uh, results um, for what that true you know, intrinsic value price is if you're using dis uh, discounted cash flow. Uh, so I don't use it. Um, I have my own, um, my own uh, theories, um, playbook, I guess you could say, um, philosophy for in, in investing. Most of it I put in that how to research article. Um, that's typically how, how I invest technicals. I, I don't really look at them um, at all. The reason being is because what tends to happen is uh, it's the easiest thing to actually look at and to actually learn to do. And all it really shows you is what everybody has done. It doesn't show you what people are doing right now this second. It shows you what people are doing one minute ago. That's like as far back as you can go or 30, or 30 seconds or whatever. Um, and it doesn't predict the, the uh, um, future. So one way to look at this, if everybody in the market is wrong, everything you're seeing on that chart is also wrong. So 2008, when they said the stock market was, all those indicators for technical analysis in 2008 were bullish. Every single one of them were bullish. Not one of them saw anything because the majority of the market was, is, is, is dumb. And so your technical analysis are gonna be dumb. Uh, you had to actually do it the Michael Burry way and look through all those mortgage bonds piece by piece, go through hundreds of thousands, millions of people's mortgages in the United States to see that there is a problem. That was the hard way to do it. Um, but that there's a reason why he was the only one doing it. Um, and that's the reason why it didn't show up in the in the charts when he started to short the uh, market because nobody else was doing it in the market. So the market, the technical just stayed bullish. Uh, so that tends to happen. So like sometimes I'll get into a stock and everything is is negative the technicals are 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 negative um and i'll go and i'll, and I'll buy it because the fundamentals are, are are strong and the stock will go on a huge run and then all of a sudden all the technicals are showing bullish <laughs> everything is bullish now so uh it's very it's very hard to say um i developed my own um uh trading algorithm i, I spent quite a pretty penny on it um but just to make a point when i spent the money to go make my own um, and have a partner that I did this with. We don't use any of the indicators that everybody in the market uses. There's no candlesticks there. Um, there's no Bollinger Bands. There's no Parabolic Star, which are probably your big three. There's, there's no moving averages. Um, so you have to find uh, innovative ways if you want to make technical analysis an actual trading strategy for you. 
Excellent. Um, so yeah, we're coming up to near the end of it. We're going to finalize on one question. I know that either Tony or Johnny, the other admins did answer this question in the, uh, in the, uh, in the thread, but I wanted to bring it on because it's something that's important. It's uh, from Aaron Snook, uh, Snook, sorry. Um, he was wondering if he had, if he held some say half of a losing stock and I buy and sell the other half during the dip and rises, and if I still lose money, would I be able to claim the losses or would the 30-day wash rule apply? So I'm going to try and simplify it. He bought a, a couple of stocks that start losing. He sold half, kept the uh, remaining half just in case it uh, would grow up. And he sold it during the dips and the rises, I guess. And he still lost money. Would he be able to claim those losses in th for the 30-day wash rule? Tony, do you want to take that that one? That thirty day wash rule is uh, I don't think we we have that. Every time I hear that, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> All right, we'll bring I Tony think, here. I think if you if you uh, sell a stock, so if you're if you're losing money and you sell a stock and then you buy it back within thirty days, you can't. The wash rule applies and you can't claim it, regardless of of what happens. So. You, you want to wait that 30 day period. If you're going to claim a large loss on a stock, you're going to want to wait 30 days before you buy it again, just in case. So I believe it so, still applies. If you, so if you suffer a 10% loss um, and you sell out and then you buy back in within 30 um, days, you can't claim that loss within 30 days. Oh. If, if you buy back in within 30 days, you can't claim the loss. Because it's 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 some rule they put in because I guess a lot of big hedge funds or somebody was doing it and taking advantage of yeah. the rule. <laughs> Someone was yeah. mis you know misusing it or taking advantage of it, so they put that rule in place so that you can't do that. So I don't really know the origins of it. That would be a good one to look up to to find out. It might be a good episode idea actually because I don't know a whole lot about the origins of that. But yeah, if there's not really a way around that, if you if you sell, it's always best. I think if you want to claim losses, it's always best to try to do that at the end of the year, right around the time you're going to do your taxes. So just sell it, take your losses, and then you can claim up to $3,000 for the following year. But the other important thing that people don't realize, I, I just have to say this, is you can write off up to $3,000 of losses, but that's not a write-off. And that doesn't mean you're getting back $3,000, everybody. It means that it lowers your taxable income by $3,000. So you're only going to get a very small percentage of that. Maybe you're, you might get nothing back depending on what your income is. You're only going to get a very small percentage back of what you lost. You're not getting the government's not going to just say, oh, you lost three grand. Don't worry about it. Here's three grand back the next year. <laughs> They're never going to do that. Never. The government doesn't want to give you yeah. money They're unless it's a pandemic because you made a bad decision on a stock. Yeah. You're never going to do that. So just remember, it's a it's a write-off for your income to lower your taxable income. It's not a write-off that you're going to get $3,000 back. So Excellent. So, Tony, we're going to round out the show. We're going to let you start. Where can they find you? How can they follow so that uh, they can uh, learn more from you? So we got the Stock Bros podcast. We'll put the link in this in the comment section of this video. And 
my brother and I just filmed a video together earlier today about the S&P 500 and the origins of it. So he's back and uh, that one will be out in a few days. So. Excellent. Uh, thank you again, Tony. Make sure you check out his podcast, The Stock Bros. It's a great and he's always in the group chatting. So he'll be uh, putting the link to his podcast and his YouTube channel in the show notes down the down below. So I'm going to say we're going to say goodbye to Tony. Goodbye, Tony. Now we got Dalt. Uh, Dalt. Ooh, what? Wrong one. There we go. Dalt. Um, Dalt, where can we find you? How can we learn more from you? Let our audience know. Yeah, as always, uh, I'm there in the group. Um, always tag me if you have a question on a certain post or if someone posts something in the group that sounds ridiculous and not related to securities at all, tag me and I'll be sure to clear it up. Uh, but I'm always posting all of my blog articles in the, in the group. You can find my blog at bantingcourtcapital.com slash blog. I actually wrote another blog article today and posted it in the group on how to recover from losses in the market. So I do articles every every Sunday and Wednesday. And uh, on Instagram as well, every Saturday, I do a live video uh, of my own. I just talk about things that happen in the market. I talked about the crypto crash yesterday, and then I post a whole bunch of content throughout the week that has to do with uh, investing and uh, startup business, all that sort of uh, good stuff. So you can always find me either in the group or on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is at Life. So R-I-S-M-A-Y, my last name, and then life. Excellent. Thank you again, Dalt. Uh, have a good night and we'll see you uh, in the group. You as well. Take care, man. Thank you. I am, of course, Phil Better. But before we uh, jump into my spiel, I want to say uh, the other panelist is Johnny, the CEO of this organization. The reason we are here learning about the stock market, he helped grow this from zero to the large number we have now and asked me to do this thing. So Go over to wisemantraders.org, sign up to his newsletter. It's an amazing newsletter for knowledge on investing. Make sure you check out Johnny's newsletter and his blogs and his ability there. I am, of course, Phil Better. I host the podcast, Invest in Yourself, pa uh, Invest in Yourself the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast, where I talk with entrepreneurs, business owners, and influencers on how they got their journey started, how they created the side hustle. And of course, I do talk with investors as well, because they are important to growing your money and learning about it. So make sure you go over to investinyourselfpod.com and be and listen in to some of the great episodes we have rolling out season three next month it's going to be fantastic and i have some amazing millionaire guests on and people who have exited out of their businesses so that's something you really need to check out so it's investinyourselfpod.com you can find me at podcaster feel better on instagram and of course in the group i want to thank everybody here because you guys are amazing we only do this because you guys have asked for more knowledge and i wish you all a great day <laughs>